Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And we resume with Parishit Perak Vav Pasuk Yud Gimel. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu is uh, about to talk to Noach, and he says, Vayome Elohim Noach, Kates Kol Basar Ba Lafanai, Hashem said to Noach, the end of all flesh has come before me because the earth is full of Hamas, which we translated before as robbery from before them. And behold, I will destroy them and then the land, we'll have to work out, or Rashi will help us how we can fit the land in. So Rashi says a lot of interesting things on this verse, and he starts by saying, Kate's kol basar. He starts by saying something really very uh, powerful and very challenging. Kol makom sha'ata motzei zunut. And then in brackets, and in some versions, it says va'avodazara. In every place where you find zunut, i.e. sexual immorality, promiscuity, and in brackets, and idolatry, Androlomusia ba'ola olam, something called Androlomusia, comes to the world, v'horeget tovim v'ra'im, and kills good and bad. So, what's this doing here? What is Androlomusia? Why does it come to the world? So, Androlomusia is, I think, a Greek word. Some want to actually translate it as dever, meaning pestilence, plague. Um, and a plague sometimes comes to the world, and when it does, it is fairly indiscriminate. It kills good people and bad people. So that doesn't mean there was a plague with the flood, but we can, est- we can extend the meaning of dever to some sort of catastrophe. Others want to un- explain androlomusia as catastrophe. But why does it come to the world when there is zunut, and maybe when there is a vodazara? So it's hard to say. Um, but uh, I saw a suggestion, at least if I've understood it correctly, that this idea of killing the good with the bad is because everything is thrown into confusion. Boundaries are crossed. The normal seder is not preserved. And of all their sins, especially like the cardinal sins, which is the one that crosses boundaries and destroys seder, destroys the order? It is zanut. It is promiscuity. So zanut is something that takes away the fundamental underpinning of a good and healthy society and brings confusion into families and, by extension, into our whole community and our whole society. And therefore, perhaps it's matim, it's appropriate that the punishment for Zanut is a punishment which is also deliberately crossing the boundaries and removing some sort of seder. Now, Avodazara would perhaps fit into the pattern, perhaps not quite so well. Avodazara also is a confusion. It's a removal of boundaries. Uh, the, the biggest boundary in the world is Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. There's only one God. And as soon as you start saying, well, this is a God and this is a God and this is a God, you're taking away the fundamental Seder order of society and you're destroying the fundamental barriers. I'm not sure it works quite so well and maybe it's 
therefore perhaps appropriate that most texts seem not to have the words of Odazara. And other places where the Midrash talks about Androla Musia, it is only referring to Zanut. Now, what does it mean it kills the good with the bad? So one interpretation is that's what happens with the flood. Who were the good people killed in the flood? Children. Because they died, and you can't say that they were guilty. But the Maharal says something different. And when I understood this Maharal, it like was removed a whole cloud from my eyes, because obviously this is problematic. We have the concept of a just God. We have a God on whom, of whom Abraham said, will the judge of all the world not do justice? When Abraham was beseeching him not to kill the good with the wicked in Saddam, incidentally, we, ha- we ascribe a lot of punishment, a lot of sins to the people of Saddam, but not Zanut, not promiscuity. So maybe that's why Abraham was justified in saying, in the case of Saddam, Hashem shouldn't kill the good with the bad. But in this case, then there's the, the, the reason why he does. But anyway, back to the Maharal. So the Maharal doesn't go for the idea that uh, children were the good people. I don't know why. I mean, maybe he assumes they were guilty in some respects. But he reads it completely differently. He's saying to Noah, Noah, you are a good person. Now, if you don't take care, you're going to be destroyed along with the wicked because there's going to be this catastrophe coming. So what should you do? The very next pasuk says, Make for yourself an ark and then you will be saved. So Hashem is saying to the one good family in existence, watch out because there's an indiscriminate catastrophe coming. And if you don't take care, you will be killed. So you should take care and you should be in your teva. Now, how does that protect you? Because it separates you out from the rest of the world. It means you won't be in the midst of the people getting punished. You will be floating away in a safe space. By the way, there is an obvious parallel to when else were people told to stay somewhere to avoid indiscriminate punishment. What? Uh, who was away? Oh, Lot. Ah, okay, I wasn't thinking of that, but that would probably be quite a good one. Lot was the one semi tzaddik in Saddam, so he had to get out. Uh, I was thinking of somewhere else that applies to all of our ancestors, and we reenact once a year, or twice a year to be precise. Yetziat Mitzrayim. And Rashi says there that the Malachamavis, or the, the Mashchit, is uh, out. And when the mashka, when the destruction is out in the streets, then it's going to affect the good and the bad. Um, and therefore, what should all the Jews do on the case of Leil Seder? Stay indoors. And if they're indoors, they won't be hit. So there's a, there's a parallel there, the way the Maharal explains what Rashi is saying, <coughs> that Hashem is saying to Noach, because you're in danger of the good being destroyed with the bad, that's why you should build a tabor. Which means, by the way, it didn't happen that the good were destroyed with the bad. Because the one set of good people, they were saved. And therefore, we don't have this terrible problem of theodicy of good people being killed in the flood if we understand it that way. The next thing that Rashi says is on the words, Ki hamas. Now, in order to understand the next Rashi, let's just go back to Pasuk Yud Aleph and Rashi there. hamas. So Rashi said, is Lashon Erva Avodazara. Two big sins, the sin of sexual immorality and the sin of idolatry. 
And then it says, Hamas, the earth was full of Hamas, which Rashi says is gezel, robbery. Now, if you look at Pasuk Yud Gimel, Why has the end of all flesh come? Because the earth is full of Hamas. To which Rashi says, The decree of their judgment was not sealed, except for Gezel, for robbery, or take out the double negative, it works better in English. The decree of their judgment was only sealed on robbery. In other words, Rashi says there were other things going on. Rashi said that clearly, there was Erva and there was Avodazara. And he said in this passage, in Yud Gimel, that Zunut brings this androlosoma and catastrophe, but not necessarily as a chatima gezar dinam, not as a conclusion of their judgment. But there is something that is the chatima, the sealing of their judgment. And the Pasuk says, Kimala Ha'aretz Hamas, says Rashi, that uniquely compared to all the other sins, however terrible they were, that's the one that seals their fate. Because the Pasuk singles out Hamas, um, even though it's mentioned lots of other things were going wrong, but here it says, And then Rashi's got something to say about Et Ha'aretz. Now the problem is, it doesn't make sense. And behold, I destroy them, Et Ha'aretz. So how are we going to translate that? So if we just leave Et as the usual introduction to the direct object, it doesn't work. So what else can we do? So Rashi brings two answers. He says, first of all, kamo min ha'aretz, from the land. It's like from the land. So I will destroy them from the land. Now, if he says it means from, what does he have to prove? He has to bring examples of et meaning from. Now, by the way, the other alternative, et meaning with, doesn't need, an ex- doesn't need proof, because uh, with is a legitimate interpretation of et. As the famous one, um, the names of Bnei Yisrael who came with Yaakov to Mitzrayim. And you'll see, a bit of a spoiler here, Rashi's second explanation is et means with. However, his first explanation is et means min, which is not a usual form of et. So Rashi has to prove that et can mean min. And he brings Pesukim to do so. Vadomelo, and similar to this, is katseti et ha'ir. When I go out, et ha'ir must mean from the city. That's why it's a good proof, because it can only mean from the city. That's referring to um, Moshe. Says to Paro, all right, I'll daven for you for the plague to go away when I go out from the city. And Rashi spells that out. It means min ha'ir. It can't mean anything else. Another example, chalach et raglav. Um, in Malachim Aleph, I forget somebody, I forget who, was ill from his feet. From his feet to his top of his head. He was very ill. And says Rashi, that means min raglav. Again, it can't mean anything else. So that's two good examples. I don't know why he needs two. That's a good question. I don't know why he needs two. So that's the first explanation. I will destroy them from the earth. Devar acher, another explanation. Et ha'aretz means im ha'aretz. I will destroy them with the earth. Says Rashi, sha'af shalosha tafachim shal omek ha'macharisha. Nimochu the Nishtashshu. 
Also, three tefachim, um, about 30 centimetres, of the depth of the plough was dissolved and swept away. So, says Rashi, says the Midrash, that when the flood came, it actually swept away what I suppose we would call the topsoil. Probably a little bit more than the topsoil. I don't really know. I don't know quite how deep topsoil goes. But the bit that was ploughed. You put a plough into the ground. Just occurs to me, who invented the plough? Noah. We learned that earlier. So maybe, maybe that's something. I don't know. Um, so the plough's depth of soil was washed away. So that would explain et ha'aret, with the earth. I will destroy them with the earth. That works out quite nicely. So we have two explanations. We have to establish what's the weakness in each. So our friend the muscular David says that the problem with the first explanation is you don't need the words et ha'aret at all. If it means I will destroy them from the earth, what's the difference between that and I will destroy them? Where are they going to be else going to be destroyed from? Mars? So it's actually redundant if it means from the earth. And the problem with the second explanation, which I think is perhaps a little bit weaker, but uh, it's what the muscular David says. Just a moment. The second explanation is I will destroy humanity with the earth because the earth was washed away. Says the muscular David, that doesn't quite work because they didn't happen at the same time. I'm not quite sure which happened first. I think the people would have died first. And then in the course of the flood the topsoil would have been washed away. So, Dafka, if you say it means it means with, that sounds like some sort of simultaneity, and yet that's not what happened. So, as the muscular David says, those are the problems with each of the two explanations. Yes? Um, not really a question, but maybe. <laughs> uh, like what the muscular David said there with like the problem of the first explanation. Could you say that maybe it's not like the people were destroyed from the earth as in they were living on the earth and destroyed from it, but they were destroyed like the conduit through which they were, they were destroyed was the earth. They were, like, they were destroyed. Like, Min ha'aretz is like, the, they were destroyed by means of the earth. Or, yeah. And why were they, in what way were they destroyed by means of the earth or with the conduit from the earth? Well, I guess because water is like an earthly So the earth thing, refers to the water, which it yes, normally doesn't. <laughs> okay, so. but earthly things. I, I, it's an interesting idea, but... I would challenge it by saying, where else do we find arets, meaning earthly things? I don't know. Maybe it does, but I'm not aware of that. I am aware that many times it's um, earth is dry land as opposed to sea. Yeah. But maybe, but maybe. I, but certainly, I don't, well, it could be that's what Rashi's saying. Um, but he gives the, the, uh, the uh, parallel psukim where et means min from very much in terms of Motion, motion away from. Uh, well, the first one is clearly Katsiti et when I go out from the city. The second one, Chala et Raglav, ill from his feet. It's not quite the same sense of motion, but it's like, like a progression, like a direction from the feet upwards. Um, so I don't think that would be what Rashi is thinking, but it may be. I did see an explanation, I don't think it really fits into Rashi, that. Um, these people were so obsessed by robbery and Hamas. Robbery was the way the world was run, but they also stole the earth from each other. That people didn't, you know, people had property on bits of earth, but other people would come and steal it. So um, that's why it's appropriate that the earth is part of the destruction because the earth is part of the of the problem. Not quite sure how that would fit in precisely, but it's an interesting idea. Okay, so. Uh, 
We finished your Gimel? Yes. So now, Yud Dalud. And as we saw, and I said the Maharal, this is the response, or this is to Kate's Kobasar, Balaf and I, the end of all flesh has come before me, there's going to be trouble coming, therefore, you should build a Teva. Aselacha Tevat, Atsel Gopher, make for yourself a Teva, ark, box, of wood of Gopher, Kinim Ta'aser et Ha'teva, compartments you shall make the Teva, a ken is a nest, it's also a compartment or a cell, Uchafarta Ota, and you shall, well, I'll, tra- I'll translate it as you shall cover it, it from outside, sorry, from inside and outside, ba kofer, with kofer, which is normally translated as pitch, although elsewhere it's translated, they use the Hebrew, different, different, different Hebrew word for that. So, aselecha teva. Rashi starts by saying something which I think is, is quite atypical for Rashi. He asked the question, why did this happen, rather than explain a word or two. But nevertheless, it's the sort of thing Rashi sometimes does, because we have a problem in the Pasuk, and Rashi actually spells out what that problem is. And he says, There are many different types of saving and salvation before him, before God. And why did Hashem trouble him with this building? So Hashem could have saved Noah in lots of different ways. Why did he make him build a teva, which is a big job? It's 300 cubits long, as we're about to see. Um, uh, uh, he's about to say it takes 120 years. Um, some want to say that includes growing the wood. So you actually have to plant the trees and grow the wood. So that's going to take quite a long time, even before you start building. Anyway, so why did Hashem trouble Noah to do this? Answer. In order that the people of the generation of the flood should see him, Osekba, occupied with it, with building the Teva, shana for 120 years. And they would ask him, What is this to you? What are you doing? And he would say to them, in the future, Hashem is going to bring a flood to the world. Ulai Yeshuvu. Maybe they will do Teshuva. So says Rashi, you have a question. As I say, it's not quite a, a classic Rashi question, but it is a Rashi question. Why does Hashem tell him to make a Teva? Which is a lot of hard work, and Hashem could have saved him in many other ways. And the answer is that the Teva itself was a message to the people. Now, it's interesting, just by the way, we talked last week about the contrast between Abraham and Noah, and Noah is criticized for not pleading with Hashem to save the people. Uh, although we saw tonight, maybe the nature of the sin in the Dora Marble was different from the sin of Saddam, so maybe that's not really a fair criticism. I'll just throw that out there. Um, but in a sense, he did, in a certain sense, he was involved in what we might call Kirov, that... Um, he told people about the oncoming flood and presumably he encouraged them to do the shuva. But I think buried in that Rashi is a key distinction between Abraham and Noah. And it says there, the Sholin Oto, they would ask him, Mazot, what's going on? The Hu and he would reply to them. 
In other words, it seems to me that Rashi is telling you he was not proactive. Avraham was the one who went out telling everyone about a Kaddish Baruch Hu without them needing to ask. But in the case of Noah, he is the one who waits for them to come to ask him. Okay, so that answers the question that Rashi asks of why build a teva. Next comment of Rashi, atse gofer, gofer wood, kach shemo. That is its name. As opposed to, what else can atse gofer mean? What does arze levanon mean? Ah, cedars from the region of Lebanon. So you might think that gopher is a place. You might think that atse gopher means wood from the place of gopher. So Rashi has to tell you, no, it's not. So first of all, he's giving you like, useful information if you want to know what gopher wood is. But it links straight into the next point. And Rashi then says, Why from this species of wood? Why not any other species? Al shame gafrit. Because of the word gafrit, which means sulfur, that they were decreed on them to be destroyed by it. Now, the Chumash here in Noah doesn't explicitly say that the waters of the flood were sulfurous, but we know there was gafrit involved in the destruction of... Sorry, you've already mentioned the example. Saddam. Gafrit to, uh, was uh, rained down from the sky. And the Gemara makes a Gezerah Shava comparison between Sodom and, uh, and the flood. And therefore we learn that there was sulfur in the waters of the flood as well. So not only is Gopher not the name of a place, for instance, but it's the name of the wood itself. And it's not just a pun, but it relates to the word Gafrit. Now, um, uh, again, I only saw recently the beauty of this comment of Rashi because it relates to the previous one. Why, how does it relate to the previous one? Why does it matter that the word gopher is related to the word gafrit? Is it just a pun? And the answer is, the whole point of the, of, the, of the building of the ark was to tell people what's going to happen. So another detail is Noah would say, look, I'm making it with gopher wood. And gopher is related to gafrit. And that's going to be part of the punishment that I'm warning you about. So given that, the whole flat, the whole teva was itself an educational device, it makes sense that it was named in relation to the punishment that is going to come. And the next thing in this verse is kinim. So kinim here means, or nes, I just think it does mean the same actually as, as it does in the uh, Masechet kinim, uh, where it refers to bird's nest or groups of birds which are brought for sacrifices. Here it comes from the same idea of ken, meaning nest or dwelling place, but Rashi straight away says madurim, so compartments for living. Madurim lechol behema v'chaya. There were compartments for all, each animal and chaya, which is like a different type of animal. Now, first of all, what is Rashi excluding when he explains this? So I saw you might think that uh, the kinim were like divisions between the floors, um, because it could divide the teva in all sorts of ways, and kinim, meaning the compartments, could be uh, pictured in all sorts of ways. So Rashi wants to tell you it's like pens or cages for holding each animal. And it just occurred to me as well today, why is it good that each animal was in its own pen? So they didn't attack each 
They didn't attack each other. But if you look at Rashi on Yud Bet, Ki Hishchit Kol Basar, this is just my thought, so you can ignore it at your will. It bears no uh, great authority. But Rashi on Yud Bet said, Ki Hishchit Kol Basar, The animals were mating with other species. And that is called bad. That's not what Hashem wanted the world to do. So maybe it's important that the animals stay in separate pens or separate mudurim for that reason. Okay, now then Rashi's got a lot to say about the kofer. Um, you shall cover it, kafarta, by the way, it's the same word, kafarta and kofer. And that both relate to a word which we know well and we're coming up to the season of Kapara, how are they all linked? Um, I'll come back to that. Um, but the okay, so let's see what Rashi says. Bakofer, zefet, it means pitch. Baloshon Arami in Aramaic. Umatzino Batalmud, and we also see the word in the Talmud as kufra. So Rashi is basically telling you what the word means. It is not a familiar word, and when the Torah normally wants to refer to zefet. How does it refer to it? With the word? Trick question here. Zephet. When does it refer to the word Zephet? Well, let's look at the other Teva in the Torah. Where's the other Teva in the Torah? With Moshe. With Moshe. So his mother couldn't hide him after three months. She took for him a basket of, or a, a box of reeds. The tachmara bechimer, and she um, um, smeared it with chimer, mortar like cement. Uva zefet, and with zefet, zafet. Sorry, the tasimba et hayeled, and put the, the child in it. And zafet there is translated by Uncleus. I'm sorry, as zifta. No, that's not significant. But zefet, Rashi has told us, is the same thing. So. Rashi needs to point out that this is what elsewhere in the Torah is called zefet. It's not something different. It's the same. Now, since we've just referred to the Teva of Moshe, we will continue with the words of Rashi, who does the same thing. He says, well, before we go on, did you notice a difference with the Teva of Moshe? I'll tell you again. zefet. Uh, and she smeared it with chema, cement, and with zefet. And Rashi there says, zefet mi bechutz, betit mi bifnim. So that means the zefet, the pitch on the outside, and the tit, some sort of cement, on the inside. Now, does that give you a suggestion of something that needs explaining? What needs explaining? Well, here there wasn't, just like cement. Okay, but where was the zefet? The, both, inside. both inside and outside. So that's strikes you as a difference. If it doesn't strike you, it should strike you. Um, and if you're... Uh, uh, you're so you feel stricken. That's good. And there only are, I think, two tevot in the Torah. It's the Aaron. No, that's, that's an Aaron. Um, and so it's interesting, but there's a difference. And Rashi comes straight to the point. And he says, But tevot toshel Moshe, al yedei shahayu hamayim tashim, the waters into which Moshe was put were calm. It was sufficient to have mortar on the inside and pitch on the outside. Now, what's the point of pitch? I don't know much about shipbuilding, but I think it keeps the water out. 
So if the waters are big, choppy, sloppy waters, then the water's going to get... There's going to, you need to defend the, the vessel against water effectively. So that's why if there's stormy waters, you need to put pitch on the inside and the outside. But if you're putting them into the Nile, which is a river, which doesn't get stormy, you don't need pitch on the inside as well as on the outside. And then he says, V'od, and also, K'day shalo yariach otod tzadik reach ra shel zefet. So that tzadik, Moshe, shouldn't smell the bad smell of pitch. And then he says, Aval Khan mipnei chozek hamayim zafata mibayat umichutz. But here, because of the strength of the water, he put pitch, that's zafata, inside and outside. So Rashi has explained the contrast between the teva here and the teva there. So first of all, he makes the point, but actually there is a contrast because there's one of the ingredients in the teva there, which is also here. How do we know that? Because that's why Rashi went out of his way to say, kofer is the same as effort. Once he said that, that generates the question of why isn't it the same with the teva, with Rosha. And he gave one answer, and then the word od, and then he gave another answer. And there is a discussion whether Rashi is giving two separate answers or two complementary parts of the same answer. And you can read it either way, and it's not... It's not uh, clear which way it is. You can either say it's one answer. So in other words, um, you needed um, Zephet because of... Uh, you, sorry, you didn't need Zephet on the outside. And even if you did need Zephet on the outside, then you're not going to um, put it there because you don't want baby Moshe to have to smell it. But you do need Zephet on the outside. Sorry, you do need Zephet on the outside... Um, and even if you did need it on the inside, then you don't want the baby to smell it. The other answer, the other approach is to say there's two separate answers here. One is you don't need Zephet on the inside because the waters aren't stormy. And a separate reason is we don't want Moshe to smell it, which means we really do need Zephet on the inside, but we're not going to put it there because we don't want Moshe to have to smell it. So really, the Nafkamina between the two ways of looking at it is, was there a need for Zephet on the inside? You can read it as saying, no, there was no need, uh, and that's why there wasn't there, and also it was nice that but Moshe didn't have to smell it. Or you can say, there was a need, but reason that stands alone, totally independent, is we don't want Moshe to have to smell it, which probably means that they were relying on some sort of miracle um, to protect him even without the zephyr on the inside. Now, one more thing. Why is it called kofer if it, the word, if it should be called zephyr? And over here it's called zephyr. So, what other word is like kofer in this very same pasuk? Vechafarta. Whereas in the case of the teva of Moshe, it's a different word. It's tach, the tachmara, which, by the way, goes with the word chema. So, in any case, just in any case, kofer has a verb kafarta, and chema has a verb for tachmara. Interesting that the verb in both cases is formed from the name and the substance. What else does kapara mean? What else does kapara mean? Kaporet, yes, good. What, and why is it called a kaporet? It covers the Okay, so you're translating kofer as cover, or kapara as cover. Yeah. Okay, so why is kapara as in atonement to do with cover? 
it protects you. Okay, good. What's the classic source? And Rashi talks about it on the word um, kapara. Um, sorry, I'm looking at the beginning of Pasha of Ayishlach. And Yaakov sends all these presents to Asaf, And he's saying... Oh, this is embarrassing. Uh, somewhere towards the beginning of Vayishlach, he says, uh, ah, here we are. Now, Ulayasapanai, maybe he will forget. Here we are. I got it, got it. Perik Lamabet, Pasakaf Aleph. So Yaakov sends, says to his messengers, Vamartem Gamhine Avdecha Yaakov, that you shall give a message to Esau with all these presents. And you shall say, Here are all the presents. And also, your servant Yaakov is coming after us. Ki Omar, because he, Yaakov, has said, Akapra Panav, I will kapara his face. And Rashi there says, Abatel Ragzo, this is Rashi on Pasuk Kafalov, I will cancel his anger. And then Rashi says, Venira Be'enai, Shakol Kapara, She'etzel Avon V'chait, V'etzel Panim, Kulon Ashokinuach V'ha'avarahein. Kapara, when it comes to sin, is wiping away or cleaning up. Uh, and there are many examples of this in the Talmud. So it's a wiping away, but I'm going to, without getting, spending too much time on this, I will jump back to, as Sarah said, it's covering. Uh, when you wipe something away, you like, like rub it down, that sort of um, covering. Uh, that, uh, that sort of um, wiping away is a similar process to covering. I mean, it's not quite the same, but we can imagine that there is a connection between them. So I think, Sarah, you're right, that kafarata is related to kaparet, meaning cover. And now here's the point. Here's where I've been getting to. So I saw the suggestion that if you're only putting zevet on one side, you're not using it to cover all the nooks and crannies, literally all the, all the cracks. If, however, you are using it to insulate both inside and outside, then you are using it to cover. So Yocheved, when she makes the table for Moshe, wasn't using Zephet to cover, but Noah was. And that's why it's called Kofer. It's not called Zephet. And now we go on to Pasuk Tet Zion, another famous uh, Yeshomrim the Yeshomrim that Rashi quotes. And he says, the Pasuk says, I'm sorry, we finished? Yep, we have finished the uh, Pasuk of Yudalot uh, and Tetvav. Actually, there's no Rashi at all, but we'll read it nevertheless. And this is how you shall make it. Shalosh ma'at ama, 300 uh, cubits long, that's the length of the teva. 50 cubits is its width. And 30 cubits is its height. Um, I'll ask you the shape of the Teva. Oh, hang on. What, what shape do you think the Teva was? What does all the children's books about Noah's Ark have a picture of? Do they? Not the books that I used to read. Okay. Okay. All right, just a normal boat. I was hoping someone would say just a normal boat. You, Sarah, said it's a rectangular box. Okay, okay, you're right. Everyone, I mean, people without reading what the verse says, sort of draw a picture of a boat. But it wasn't a boat, it was a box. 
although we're about to see it had a slopey lid. But it was a box. But either way, and again, this is, this is Chiddush Shali, that uh, was my Chiddush years ago. Why does it need to be, why is it all right for it to be a box rather than a boat shape? Because it doesn't have to go anywhere. Why is a boat shape boat shaped? So it's streamlined, so it can go. What does a box do in the water? It doesn't move, but hopefully it floats. And that's all the Teva had to do. It didn't have to go anywhere. It just had to float. Therefore, a box-shaped Teva is ideal as it was. Okay. And clearly from that verse, the three dimensions of a Teva, the, the length, the breadth, and the height, tell you it was a box, which is what the word Teva means. Okay. Then in Pasuk Tet Zion, Tsohar ta'aseh la Teva. You shall make a Tsohar for the Teva. And then he says, el ama tachalena milamala. And to an ama, you shall finish it from the top. tasim. And a door in the teva, in its side, you shall put. Tachtim shenayim ushloshim ta'aseha. And you shall make it with an underneath and a second and a third. So we will explain all these things about the construction of the Teva. But we'll start with a Tsohar. What does the word Tsohar mean? Okay, if you take it, if you put the plural, or the dual to be precise, the plural is if there's two of them, what word do you get? Saharayim. What does Saharayim mean? When the sun is doing what? Shining. Okay, says Rashi, Tsohar, Yeshomrim Chalon, there are some say it means a window. The Yeshomrim Even Tova. It was a precious stone, Hamaira Lahem, that brought light for them. So there you are. Rashi quotes the Gemara, as it happens, where there are two opinions, and he leaves it undecided. And he says, some say it's a light, sorry, it's a, it's a window, and some say it's like a light, an internal light source. Either way, it fits with the word Sohar because it's something that brings light in. You can have light from a window, and you can have light from a precious stone. Some sort of, maybe we would say radioactive today, I don't know, probably wouldn't be very healthy to have a radioactive stone in the middle of the Teva, but we're about to see there are other unhealthy things there as well. Um, but something that gave off light. So it comes from the word Soha, which means shining. Uh, Soha perhaps is related to the word Zoha with a Zion, which also means splendor. Um, some people want to sort of wax lyrically on the difference between these two opinions. Did the light come from outside or did the light come from inside? And there's a moshel there, there's a drosher or a few there. That did Noah need to have light from within or light from without? You can also ask, did he look outside and see the destruction of the world around him? Or did he not look outside? Was there a window or was it a precious stone? Now, interestingly, and I think I'll leave this till we get there, Rashi in... Perakhet Pasuk Vav, Perakhet Pasuk Vav in our very Sedra says, Vayhi Miketz Arbeim Yom, it was at the end of 40 days, Vayiftach Noach et Chalon Hateva Asher Asa. And Noach opened the window of the Teva which he had made. And Rashi says there on Et Chalon Hateva Asher Asa, Lutzohar which he had made, Lutzohar. So most want to say, aha, Rashi here is leaving it in doubt, 
But Rashi there is coming down on one side of the, of the duality. He's saying it was a window. Uh, the window that he had made, Lutzohar. I always want to say, by the way, it's not quite so clear. He, Rashi doesn't, in Perichet Pasuk Vav, say, uh, open the window, the one referred to by the word Sohar in Perik Vav Pasuk Tet Zayim. He just says the window he had made, Lutzohar. So it actually leaves open the possibility that there was a Tzohar, which might have been a precious stone, and he also made a window for extra light. It's not, that is not ruled out. Although most seem to say that here he is giving you the Pshat, and the two Pshatim work equally, which is why he brings both of them. And over there, he brings Pshat, and it works better to say that the window was the Chalom. Sorry, was the Tzohar. Rashi sometimes does this. It's a, it's a debate amongst the Mephoshim um, how often he does it. But, but some people, certainly the Mizrahi, is leading the charge here, is the one who wants to say that Rashi quotes Midrashim sort of um, to fit, and sometimes he will go with this Midrash, and sometimes the same Rashi will go with a contradictory Midrash, if it fits better in a different place. Now, the other thing I want to say is, uh, why do we need two opinions? So, one, one pair of answers I found is this, that if it means a window then you could argue that it should have said a different word. What word should it have said? Window. Chalon. So why does it say Sohar if it means Chalon? Chalon is a perfectly good word in relation to the Teva. How do I know that? Because we just use it in Perachet Pasik Vav. So why doesn't it use it here if it means Chalon? And the opposite problem is if it means Sohar, if it means a precious stone, what verb would you use with the precious stone? Noach is told to, what would you say? If it means a precious stone, then what is the appropriate verb? Noach is commanded to blank a precious stone. Take, find, find, prepare, but not make. And yet here it says, Soha ta'aseh leteva. Now, there is an answer because asiya can also mean preparing, but it doesn't usually mean prepare. And there's a better word for preparing, which is lahachim. So that's one pair of answers to this question that we always ask, is why, is why does Rashi bring two answers? They're both a little bit deficient. Yes? Why don't you use Zavara Like, is there significance in the way that he presents the two? Interestingly, I don't think you were here last week, were you? Maybe. Maybe you were. Maybe I can't remember. Sorry. Um, because... I, I made the point that in the very beginning, the very first Rashi on Parshas Noach, uh, no, the second one, sorry, Bedorotav. Noach was a tzaddik, Bedorotav. Rashi says there, Perak Vav Pasuk Tet, second Rashi. Yeshmi Raboteinu Darshimoto Shvach. There are those who use this understanding as, as a praise, that he was righteous in his generation, how much more so would he have been in our generation? Uh, and there are those who expound it um, as uh, negative. He was a tzaddik in his generation, but had he been of a generation of Avram, he wouldn't have been thinking of anything. And I made the point there that Rashi doesn't say the and perhaps that's because some of the Mephoshim of Rashi want to read it as one single idea. That it's the same, it's the same Noach. He was a pretty good tzaddik, not quite as good as Avraham, but pretty good. 
So if he'd been in a generation of other tzaddikim, he would have like grown with them. But if he'd been in a generation of Avraham, he would have been totally eclipsed by Avraham and he wouldn't have been considered anything. But it's not contradictory. It's just two sides of the same coin. So I said that because I think it's interesting. And I wonder if that works here. And I don't think it does. Um, because I think, uh, I don't think I've got a good answer to your question, because I think these are mutually exclusive. And really what we need to do is understand if there's a systematic difference between Rashi saying Dava Acher and Rashi saying Yeshamrim and Yeshamrim. And somebody's probably analysed that, and Blineder, I'll see if I can, we can find something. But right now I don't know. But I was wondering if you could see these two as complementary rather than contradictory. I don't think you can. Because I think it's either Achalon or it's an Evan Toba. Okay, the next comment of Rashi is on the words for Elama Techalena Milamala. To an Amma you shall finish it above. Kisuya Meshupa. The cover, its cover, was sloping. Ola Ad Shehu Katsar Milamala. And it went up until it was narrow at the top. Omed Al Amma. And it stood at an amma. In other words, it was sloping on the sides and it was flat at the length of an amma on the top. In order that the water should flow downwards from this side and this side. So the actual uh, appearance of the teva was not a boat. It was a box with a slopey roof. That's what it was. Now, the slopey roof, and Rashi tells you very reasonably, is for a very good reason for the water to drain down the sides. By the way, it is not 100% clear from this Rashi exactly what it looked like. And someone to say Rashi means it sloped in four sides and there was a flat bit at the top, uh, which was a very small sort of rectangular flat bit. And others want to say, and I actually think it's probably better in the Rashi, but it sloped on two sides. Because he does say mikan or mikan. Now, you could say that means he's not being precise from here, from this side and this side. Could mean this side and this side. Oh, and this side and this side. Um, but Rashi usually is precise. So I think he may be mikan or mikan. Perhaps we can read it. It's the Taz, the Divrei David, who says it means it was sloping on two sides. And El Ama to an Amma means there was a strip, which was an Amma wide, but actually 300 Amma long, which was the length of the table. Mm-hmm. So some want to say it sloped on four sides and it just had a small rectangle, either an amma by an amma, or others want to say an amma by a tefach, which could still be described as an amma. And uh, others want to say that it sloped on two sides and it was, the amma was a long strip, an amma wide. Interesting enough, the Mizrahi points out that Rashi doesn't say explicitly that the flat bit was covered. He says the kisui, the cover, was sloping. And there was a amma at the top. Now, most would say, and most, I think, do say that I saw, says that means that was covered at the top. The Mizrahi said it means there was an empty space at the top, a very small rectangle at the top, which would have been good for air to get in or maybe light to get in, in addition to the light we had previously mentioned. Um, what about the rain getting in? So the Mizrahi says it's only a little bit, it's only a small little patch, doesn't matter if a little bit of rain gets in. If you have a cover on your sukkah to stop the rain getting in, it doesn't have to be totally, you know, uh, comprehensive. It can be a little gap and the rain doesn't really get in. Or maybe a little bit of rain gets in. As we will see, it was no picnic in the Teva. Um, it really wasn't very comfortable. And um, a little bit of rain getting in probably would have been the least of their problems. 
So then Rashi says on the words, tasim, a door to the teva, you shall put it in the side, Rashi says, but tisim, shalo yiplu hagashamim bo. So the rain will not fall in it. That's why it's put at the side. Now, it might be a very pedestrian sort of comment to say that Rashi might be contrasting this with the way boats usually work. So where is the uh, door of a boat? How do you get into a boat? Well, perhaps in, uh, if you go on the spirit of Tasmania, you have like nice doors. But if you have like, you know, think of pirate ships. Where's the doors? Where's the entrance? Yeah, like flat. Exactly, like flat. Um, you, you open, I don't know, you open the, the flat doors and you descend. And Rashi's pointing out that this is not like those ships because it's designed for a completely different purpose. It's designed to withstand vast quantities of water descending from the sky. So a door which is like flat is not going to work so well. That's why it has to be Betseda Tasim. That detail which is added is relevant to the nature of the thing that's being built. And we'll finish off with Tachtiim Shanaim Ushloshim. So it's actually not quite clear what those words mean. Oh, maybe we can go a little bit further. We've still got time. We, I mean, it's actually not clear what those words mean. It just says underneath two and three, or twos and threes. So Rashi, first of all, has to explain what it means. Shalosh aliyot zu al Three levels, one above another. Now, why do you need three levels? So Rashi's now going to tell you why you need three levels, which, which explains why there are three levels. Elyonim adam emtsaim madur and I've got in brackets, Bahema Chayava Ofot. So the top one for the people, the middle one for the dwelling of the animals, etc. Tachtim Lezevel, and the bottom one for rubbish or refuse. By the way, what was the refuse? They didn't have lots of plastic bags like we have today and lots of packaging that they threw away. They empty, Noah opened the pet food every day from the tins and throw away the tins. No, that's not what happened. It was the sewage, right? Uh, and that's why I keep telling you, because I knew this was coming, that it wasn't very comfortable uh, uh, in the Teva. Uh, Rashi, I think there is other sources that say this for other things, but Rashi says it was lezevel, which actually means manure more than, more than rubbish. So there was a waste management system, so all the waste was kept at the bottom of the Teva. I think we can get the impression it was not very comfortable there. Okay, let, I think we've got a little bit more time, so let's go on to Yud Zion. Let's start Yud Zion. Va'ani hinani mevi etamabul mayim al ha'aretz. And I, behold I, will bring the mabul of water on the earth, l'shachet kol basar, to destroy all flesh. Now, by the way, shachet is the word that we had at the beginning. When... The, t- the Pasuk, as it were, the divine narrator said in Vav Yud Aleph, V'tishachet ha'aretz, the earth has become destroyed. And uh, in Yud Bet, V'yar Elohim et ha'aretz v'hinei nishchata, ki hishchit kol basar. Hashem saw the earth, behold it was destroyed because all flesh had destroyed its way on the earth. So it's very midakonegin midda, but Hashem responds by saying, I am now going to destroy the earth with the same lashem. All flesh which has in it literally the spirit of life. From under the heavens. Everything that is on the earth will expire. 
So the first thing Rashi says is, Va'ani hinani mevi. Hinani muchan lahaskim im otam shazarazuni. I am ready to agree with those who infused me. Va'omru lafanai kavar. And they said before me already, Ma enosh kitis karena. Pasuk from Tehillim, what is man that you should remember him? So Rashi is referring to a Midrash. Interestingly, he hasn't brought this Midrash before because he didn't need to, even though chronologically it refers to something much earlier, but it wasn't necessary. But now it is necessary. That when Hashem wanted to create man, there were groups in Shemayim of the heavenly bodies who took different views. And there was a group, as the Midrash describes, who says, don't create man, it's a bad idea. And they use the Russian, they use the expression, Ma enash ki tizkareno. So Rashi says, I'm, Rashi's going to bring that Midrash now in order to explain the words here that Rashi understands as Hashem saying, I am ready to agree with them. And what is the key word? To, I'll give you a bit of a clue. What is the key letter that Rashi has identified as giving this meaning? What's the key letter? Clue. Look at the beginning of the Pasuk. The Vav. The Vav. What does Vav mean? And I. What do you mean, and I? And I what? So Rashi understands it, this is the way most understand this Rashi, as, and I will agree, I will, agree I, I will go with all those others. And that's also perhaps a lotion of Hinani. Here I am, which is usually used by people, saying, you've called me, here I am, I'm with you, I'm now in your presence. So both of them, but I think the Vav is the key one, by the way, Va'ani Hinani, says Rashi, I, Hashem, am now with, with what? With those who were against man from the beginning. So, Rashi understands, Va'ani Hinani, maybe it's both, or maybe it's just one or the other, as Hinani Mokhan Haskim, I am now agreeing with others, because the Vav, or better, better the Vav, and to a lesser extent the Hinani, implying that I, Hashem, am together with something else. Okay, we've just got time for Rashi on the word Mabul. Now, the problem of the word Mabul is what is the Shoresh? Any ideas? Okay, so I'll tell you now. Rashi sees the Shoresh as Bet Lamad. What's the problem with that? Two-letter Shoresh. Now, there is a great debate amongst the Hebrew etymologists if there's such a thing as a two-letter Shoresh. And I'm not quite sure of Rashi's position on that, but I think from this one, he sees it as having a three-letter Shoresh. In which case, which is the letter that's disappeared? Now, letters do disappear. There are certain letters which regularly disappear out when they are uh, conjugated. But Rashi, his point is, we're not sure which is the third letter that's not there. So Rashi says, Mabul shabala et hakol, that wore out everything. The root being bet lamad hay, the hay has dropped off. Then Rashi says, shabilbel et hakol, that confuses everything because that's what the flood does by washing everything away. And there, the root is bet lamad, but repeated. So we've got half of a repeated, a four-letter root. And four-letter roots, I think, are always a pair, uh, two pairs repeated. Galgal and... Um, it's the one that springs to mind, but there are others as well. So here we have two letters of a four-letter root. And the third possibility is shahovil 
et hakol, that transports everything, bet yud lamud, min gavoat lanamuch, from top to bottom. So Rashi is giving three explanations, and he doesn't say, by the way, devar acher, not once, because he thinks they're all valid. Because he thinks mabul, as it were, points to bet lamud hey, it points to bet lamud bet lamud, and it points to bet yud lamud. So they're all contained in the idea of Mabul. And then he says, and I think, uh, it doesn't sound like they're starting Marv Ma- Ma- yet, so I'll just finish this Rashi. V'zeh loshen onkelos, shetargem tunufa. And this is the expression of onkelos, who translates Mabul as tufuna, sorry, tufuna, I got it wrong, which we understand as Rashi, as onkelos for flood. Shehetzif et hakol. It made everything float away. V'heviam lebabel shehu iyamuka. And it brought them all to Bovel, which is deep, the Kachnikra Shinar, and that's why Bovel is also called Shinar, Shinaro Shem Kol Mite Midbar, Mabul, sorry, Mite Midbar, so I'm thinking of something else, that it moved there all the dead of the Mabul. Very quickly, Bovel is where the Midrash says that all the victims of the Mabul ended up, and Bovel is a place of confusion. Because, uh, as we know from Migdal Bavel, and all the languages were confused. But that, that, that's the last point, and I'm rushing this. We'll, we'll revisit it next week. But um, uh, he says, Tufuna, Onkelis's comment of Tufuna is related to Hatsif, which is to make things float away, which fits in with the third explanation of Rashi, but it's an expression of moving things. Okay, we'll stop there, and in Mitzvah Shem, we'll meet next week.